Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. How about you? I, I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm excited you sent me over the title, or well, <laughs> maybe not the title of the podcast, but just kind of your thoughts, you know, to start this off. And it starts right. with here, fishy, fishy, <laughs> here, fishy, fishy. I love that. So we're talking about fish and I'm a huge seafood fan. So yeah. I'm excited for today's podcast. I know I was being um, funny. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like great. fish. I love fish. And I used to love shellfish mm. so much. Shrimp, crab. Wait a second. You said used to. Yes. Uh, scallops. Yeah. I, they fish. Shellfish does not love me anymore. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's really kind of sad when you when you used to love something and it doesn't love you anymore. I developed a shellfish allergy as an adult. Mm. So we can't eat it anymore because anaphylaxis, yeah. all that, you know, it's yeah. Yeah, new fun, but you know, that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and, and I, that's about. one of my fears, right? Is, is yeah. shellfish poisoning because I love it as well. And right. uh, so I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, but today is not all about the shellfish. It's about fish, fish as well. Right. Right. About all types of seafood, okay. fish, shellfish, and what's sustainable about it or non-sustainable about it because that's what we talk about here mm, mm-hmm. on deep impact investing right and i i don't know how i got into this rabbit hole the other day i mean how does anybody get down a rabbit hole on the internet it yeah. just happens it happens but yeah. right but i did and i thought okay i have to talk about this on the podcast important one and fascinating i think there's a lot more to sustainable seafood, mm-hmm. including fish, not just shellfish. And we should talk about this. So we're okay. going to today. That's what we're talking about. And I eat a lot of fish. I've talked about that before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I try to not eat too much tuna because tuna tends to be high in mercury, balancing it with you know, the fattier, healthy omega-3 salmon. I love trout, mm-hmm. other white fishes, so I, I don't want to eat a single type of fish. And of course, I can't eat the shellfish, but lots of people do and love it. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk, as I said, about sustainable and unsustainable seafood. So what does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question because I understand you know, there's a, a, I don't know if the majority of fish in markets, I, I would assume the majority of fish in markets, especially in like Nebraska, where there is no real water, I'm assuming it, almost all of it's going to be farm raised that's in the grocery stores. It's in, you know, it's in 
anybody who has wild caught anything will have huge signs telling you that it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's wild caught or fresh or whatever. So I, I don't know much about fish farms and, and, and farm raised and how sustainable that is or how, whether it's a positive or negative impact on the environment, I'm, I'm assuming most everything we do is a negative impact. So <laughs> I can't well, it, it, yes and no. I, I don't want to say that everything we do is a negative impact because we can make choices for positive impact. Mm-hmm. And that's True. what we're talking about. Every time we do a podcast is what is the positive impact as well. If there's a negative impact, how can we turn it into a positive impact? And And I think that's the important piece of why I do this podcast. Mm-hmm. How do we turn it around? And as I got into this wormhole, really, of research, I just got off on a tangent on the internet, as tends to happen, right? Mm-hmm. There are some kind of standards, and I say kind of because it can vary from what the U.S. standards are, what some non-NGO standards are, what international standards are, and what the idea of sustainably harvested seafoods can be. There's a big difference between Mm -hmm. what I would call the lighter U.S. government regulations are compared to looking at the opposite end of the spectrum to the what I would definitely say are the harsher words of some vegan sustainable seafood websites are. I mean, they go to the opposite end of the spectrum, of course, which mm-hmm. we would expect, where they're saying, just don't eat animals <laughs> at all. <Yeah. laughs> and they, they would tell you that there's no sustainably way to harvest a fish at all, mm-hmm. which... I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily 100% agree with on that note, but I also didn't feel that some of the the places I looked at on the U.S. government sites go far enough. Some of the sites I saw, particularly in Australia, their government regulations seem to be a little bit stricter. I like that. Mm-hmm. I understand here in the U.S. where we look at government standards as a, I would say, bottom guideline to begin with. And we have to go a little bit farther as far as I'm concerned. But I wanted to break down this a bit and let listeners kind of digest the information, make their own informed decisions, because I think that's what we really should be doing. I want to start, Eric, with a typical definition of sustainably harvested or sustainable seafood. I think that's kind of where we should start. When we're looking at that seafood packaging, and I'm using air quotes, which of course nobody can see, claims the content inside of that would be saying that the fish is declared sustainably caught by either a specific organization, a private company, or a government agency. And the requirements to get that sustainable seafood certification from any of these entities, again, will differ. So an example would be, according to the U.S. government's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which we are familiar with as NOAA, they do a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Hurricanes, (laughs) fisheries, all those things. For seafood to be considered sustainable by law in the United States, The management program, the fishery management program plan has to consider 
whether it's a social and economic outcome for the fishing community, whether that's a positive outcome, whether they're preventing overfishing, either in the ocean, the river, those types of things. Are they rebuilding depleted stocks? So are they managing that particular fish that they're fishing and helping to replenish it? Are they minim- minimizing bycatch? And we're going to come back to that because this was something I didn't realize was such a huge problem. Are they minimizing the interaction with protected species? There are a lot of protected species out there, mm-hmm. and we have to make sure that those are not being destroyed as well. And are they identifying and conserving essential fish habitats? A lot of rivers and lakes in the U.S. and even certain ocean areas are protected habitats. So, And some of those places you cannot fish in. So we have to make sure that those are being taken care of. And that's often what I would consider just to be a minimal requirement, all of these things. It needs to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. In, in your research, does the NOAA do they set all these standards and and actually scrutinize other countries by these standards or are they just really focusing on u.s companies they are focusing on u.s based company Mm. and companies and what they are doing here based because that's all they can control they can control also fish that is being brought into the u.s yeah that, um, that was my question i think because yeah a central american co- country which will remain nameless because i don't want to make an enemy out of it <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they've had a lot of corruption and and multiple presidents in the past couple decades have been you know under arrest and, and have done illegal things but one specifically took multiple bribes and sold fishing rights to mm-hmm multiple countries at one time that when they thought it was going to be exclusive like china was one of them that they sold rights to off their coast and so china came in and started fishing heavily but they also resold those same rights to multiple countries which obviously caused a big stir but like those types of fish coming in you know how does noah you know figure that out i i don't know that that's very interesting so again this is another huge rabbit hole i i don't want to take us down i guess (laughs) right and i actually don't know the answer to that but not all companies can import into the U.S. for specific reasons, gotcha. right? And not mm-hmm. all countries can import into the U.S. Good point. So there are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are restrictions for many of those companies and countries, probably because they don't meet certain criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I want to circle back around to this issue of bycatch and what it is. I think this is extremely important and minimizing, when we say minimizing bycatch, minimizing it is probably not exactly what we should say. If there's some way we could just eliminate it, Mm -hmm. that would be great because it is a big problem. Let's give it a definition. Bycatch is when trawler nets, and, and these are the big, massive nets that boats use, and I was shocked to find out that some of these are the size of football fields. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah, 
and they are pulled through the ocean to catch the fish that they're fishing. But they, and they say incidentally, right? <laughs> they, they catch non-target marine life. And we, when we say non-target, if they're looking for specific fish like tuna, and they go out to the place where the tuna are expected to be, they're going to catch sea turtles and birds and dolphins and sometimes whales and sharks hmm. and other smaller fish and other types of fish. And these are what they call bycatch. They typically wind up dead because hmm. they get tangled in the nets. They drown. I mean, think about it. Whales dolphins they need to constantly come up for air and go down into the water and they get pulled up out of the water they get thrown up on the decks of these humongous ships and boats and they just throw the bodies back into the ocean when they're dying or already dead yeah i mean to me this is horrible it's not a catch and release type of situations because most of them are simply dead or dying. It's estimated that as much as 40% of global marine life catch is bycatch. Mm. 40%. It's also estimated that trawlers can catch up to 20 pounds of bycatch for each pound of fish that they're catching. Holy cow. That's, I know. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. And this, these two the statistics come from the World Wildlife Federation, so I'm not making this up. And even though these technologies have advanced over the years, bycatch is a significant issue, and it's a huge threat to our oceans. If we're killing so many other species of marine life, we're not going to have much mm -hmm. of a marine life left. And this is where I also heard that if we continue to, or read, if we continue to use this process for catching our fish, we will lose much of our ocean and our fish and our seafood that we rely on many people rely on fish and seafood as their primary source of protein mm -hmm. but we will lose that by it's either 2045 or 2048 mm. as a source of protein yeah and, and what are we gonna do i've never heard the term bycatch before so I, I like i said i love getting on these podcasts with you because i learned so much but i've seen bycatch in some documentaries and it's a little difficult because the, the fishermen you know they're out there to do their job that those are the resources and tools that they have obviously there needs to be something better but one of the things that they can't do is pick up a fish let's you know a, a dolphin for instance or some other larger fish it's not like they can just pick them up when they bring it on the board and chuck it over and it'll be okay they usually use gaff hooks you know because yeah. they you cannot possibly pick up something that heavy and slippery <laughs> you know, they're yeah. coming out of the water they're really slippery and so i've seen that and and the excuse is or the the reasoning is well it'll just go back into the ecosystem somebody's going to eat that you know a, another fish it's going to eat okay possibly however there's a good chance it's a big ocean there's a good chance that that fish is going to die and it's not going to be eaten by something else it's going to sink to the bottom and just decompose there right, it, right. 
it, yeah, it's disheartening because there's so many things that are, like you said, I've seen it and it's, yeah, I didn't know the numbers though. 20 pounds not, per pound of fish. It's insane. It is insane. And it's mm. not pretty when no. you think about it. It's, <laughs> no. I can't even imagine. I don't know how someone can do that work. I, I mean, people do, right? But I don't know how they can do that work and think about what they're throwing back overboard to just rot in the ocean mm-hmm. many times, right? It's not all going to be consumed Correct. Yeah. by other wildlife in the water. So I think about that and I think, wow, that is quite the waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there, there's that. And I don't know what the solution is to that particular piece. Do we ban bycatch? Do we ban netting? Yeah. How would we provide enough fish and seafood for folks to eat Mm -hmm. around the world? We're not going to sit out there with a pole and fish enough fish. Yeah, unless a guy with long hair comes back and starts breaking fishes and loaves and passing them out. (laughs) I don't know how we can have that much for all those people, right? Right. uh, you, You mentioned Noah. Right. So that that's part of maybe how we make sure, you know, things are sustainable. But are there other ways we can know if things are, you know, are there other certifications or, or ways that we can as consumers see, you know, the possibility there are. Of good ways? Okay. Yeah, there's a number of places that have labels and certifications for sustainable seafood. One of them is the Marine Stewardship Council. I find their website to have uh, some decent information, and people can go there and look at it. There's the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. One of the best, frankly, is the Monterey Bay Aquarium's Seafood Watch. And I think many people are aware of that because they used to hand out these little cards that you could carry around to show which are the best fish to be consuming hmm. what were high in mercury, what you should only eat once in a while because of the mercury content, what were endangered fish or seafood. It was a great little card to just carry in your wallet. I don't know if they still have that, but I believe it's available on their website to refer to. They also, on their website, frankly, have some amazing information. You can get lost on their website for hours. I practically did. <laughs> it, it is full of information on so many different pieces of, well, so many different topics, frankly, about how to deal with uh, different parts of the sustainability issue on seafood. And mm-hmm. I'm going to refer to that a little bit more because there's too many pieces to to talk about right now. I want to finish answering your question. There's also uh, Nature Land without an E. They have a certification and label. I haven't um, really looked into that one, so I'm not sure what their requirements are. And Best Aquaculture Practices is another label and certification. And each group has different standards for fisheries to qualify to use its label on packaging. So I think if you want to decide as a listener 
which one meets your particular qualifications, check out their website on how they evaluate fisheries, whether it's a fishery that is on land, right, that is growing seafood or fish, or if they're harvesting it wild caught, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, so that you understand what their processes are. Even fisheries that are actually growing fish, whether it's trout or tilapia or any of those other types of fish that we think about in terms of farming, Mm -hmm. there are also requirements and certifications that are important for farmed fish that people really need to be aware of and how that's handled, especially, I think, with farmed fish because what are they feeding it? How is it being grown? Are they also giving it antibiotics? What makes it sustainable in that farming process? I personally have never been intrigued or interested or wanting to eat much in the way of farmed fish. Mm-hmm. I am, I've been very weary of it. And I think from now on, if I'm going to eat a farmed fish after doing some of this research, I want to make sure it has a certification, probably for me, from the Monterey Bay Aquarium's certification mm-hmm. process. I find their process to be really well done. The Marine Stewardship Council also has a pretty in-depth certification and label processing as well. Farming fish for me is really ripe for issues. So there's that. And you know, we could... What? Go ahead. How how so? Farming fish, is it just the research you've done? There's a lot of... I mean, is it really just not sustainable? Or is it just there's so many farms out there that aren't, are just choosing not to be sustainable? I think there's a lot that are choosing not to be sustainable. Mm. It's a quick way to produce fish for consumption. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to feed them scraps of mm. not very healthy byproduct of food. As we were discussing briefly before the podcast, of things that we wouldn't necessarily want to eat. I want to know personally what those fish are being fed. When you have a fish in the wild, you know it's going to eat the things that are available to it, which also is a bit of a problem. And I'm Mm going to come back to that in a second. But when a fish is being farmed, it doesn't have access to its natural sources of food. So it can only be, it can only eat what it's given. And how do we know exactly what it's given? Mm -hmm. We don't. And so I have some issues with that. I tend to prefer wild caught fish Mm -hmm. myself, but I think everyone should do their own in-depth research if they want to have that decision made themselves let's talk about even wild cat wild caught fish or seafood right Mm -hmm. we've talked before about how much plastic is in the ocean and that plastic gets broken down 
with the waves and the rocks and the coral as it's beaten against those rocks and coral and the waves into small microparticles. And this is one problem we have with fish and shellfish overall is that they are eating microscopic particles of plastic. So we have to think about that too, what all fish are eating, and they are eating microscopic pieces of plastic. There's no way to avoid that. Yeah. So some might think, well, if we have a farmed fish, maybe it won't have those microscopic particles of plastic. Mm. So there's that piece. <laughs> yeah, where are they getting their water from? I mean, it's not like right. they're, they're, yeah, it's... It, Microplastics right. in the water, right? I mean, that's... Uh. It probably is, yes. And also farmed fish tend to be in tanks that can be overcrowded. They do, I think, even with what we would consider sustainable seafood, I believe they still have to give them antibiotics because they are so crowded and mm. they have to prevent disease, things like that. Mm. So... I want to move on a little bit to reasons why we should still be supporting sustainable seafood because I think this is what's important on this issue. And we wouldn't want to not support it because if we don't, we're going to still have these horrible issues with bycatch and overfishing and depleting our supplies. You know, there's so many reasons not, you know, if, if we don't support it, then we would just have a catastrophic event. So every time we think about supporting something sustainable, the opposite of that is catastrophe, mm-hmm. right? If we don't look at issues of climate change and how we can mitigate that, it's catastrophe. So if we're looking at supporting sustainable seafood, there's so many reasons to do it. If we're buying seafood that's been raised sustainably, it means, frankly, that the fish or the shellfish has been sourced in a way that's causing less damage or has less impact on its surrounding marine environment. That's important. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's a lot of ways that the environment can be jeopardized through unsustainable fishing practices. Here's some other examples. Marine plants are often harmed by the bottom dredging, especially if they're looking for lobsters or crabs or things like that. Any unsustainable fishing methods, natural water sources such as rivers, lakes, and of course oceans can be polluted with the fish waste. We're just talking about that. Mm -hmm. The antibiotics, Mm. uneaten feed from uh, unsustainable fish farms, that gets dumped into the waterways as well. So we want to support the sustainable process of raising seafood and fish. Yeah. Sustainable fisheries and farms, as we were just talking about, do source their fish with processes that will increase the number of fish that were raised or sourced over the long term without depleting the global fish environment. So what does that mean? Right? That's No idea. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean, Kim? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, what they're going to do is instead of going into the 
natural environment and taking all of the available fish, they're going to, if we're talking about a, a farm source, they're going to breed the fish so that they know there's a continual supply. On the other hand, many fish that are raised or caught unsustainably are contributing to the overfishing problem. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Another support reason, unsustainable fish farms, here's kind of the ugly side, dispose of wastewater, antibiotics, uneaten fish feed into lakes, rivers, and oceans. And this can cause death and illness to other marine life in that area. So we want to use sustainable farming practices, just like we would with wheat or corn or any other farm Mm -hmm. practice. We want to do that with fish as well. Unsustainable farm fisheries can cause a lot of damage. And when we're talking about that byproduct of catching and killing so many fish with the nets and the dredging that are caught by accident with you know the bycatch and all of that, we need to find another solution. So if we're supporting a more sustainable fish catching solution, which I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. I need to do more research to find that. We need to use a more sustainable method for catching. Yeah. There's also the sustainability piece of coastal fishing towns around mm-hmm. in the United States and the world. They depend on these small-scale fisheries and fishing boats and fishing families. They they really depend on this for income and food. And when we do purchase locally caught wild fish, we're supporting those mm-hmm. families and people and those local economies. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple more, just when we think about this, 85% of the world's fisheries are fully exploited, and that results in endangered fish species. If we want to be more sustainable with our species of fish and shellfish, we have to look at sustainable practices in farming or fishing of those animals. There's over a thousand species that are on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's list of fish that need to be rebuilt and those populations need to be rebuilt. That's Mm -hmm. a lot. Because we know we're losing species every day. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, you know what's there's a fish that I bought at a very well-known store a couple of years ago and i was like what is this and the the fishmonger was like oh no you have to try it and i don't know if i'm going to pronounce this right but it's called barramundi and the 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 fishmonger said no you're really going to like this it's really great and we tried it and it was delicious right and it's a white fish and it's very light it has less fat than salmon but it has really great omega-3s it's high in protein and uh, it it was great it doesn't have as much mercury in it as tuna i was hooked right it Mm -hmm. was it's a great fish easy to cook 
very flavorful, not too fishy, because some people don't like yeah. super fishy fish, right? And it's not overfished currently. Let's go with that, right? Much like some salmon is, sometimes tuna can be a problem with that. Tuna is also really expensive. So is halibut. And and this fish was really great. It's it it's a great alternative to some of these other one expensive fishes. It's a more sustainable fish variety. And if I'm not if I'm correct, I think it comes from South America, often off of the coasts of Argentina. And it's a great way to eat a really good fish that's good for you and preserve some of the other fish that are getting a little bit, what shall we say, scarce in some mm-hmm. places, and we need to preserve them. There's so many other things we could mention. The Mon- As I said before, the Monterey Bay Aquarium has a really great website that I think folks should take some time to look at and their information is phenomenal so i encourage listeners to really look there and they have as i said full page multiple page reports on things like how we look at sustainable fishing and seafood in terms of protecting human rights stopping illegal fishing because that is also an issue Mm -hmm. managing the pollution and the disease of seafood and fish, preserving their habitats, which we mentioned before. And if you didn't know before, you're gonna know now, there's also the the escaping of farmed fish, which is a problem because then they will breed with other natural fish Mm. and that is a whole other situation which you don't want. So there you have it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know that fish being in the wrong habitat is a huge issue in the U.S. in rivers uh, because of fish that they brought in to to fix something. I can't remember what they brought them in to eat something specific. It was like a, a parasite of some kind. But now those fish are decimating right the the habitats of all the local fish that should have been here and i and the the ones when you've seen the videos where somebody's in a boat and they're zipping along the river and all these fish are flying out of the water and hitting the people on the boat (laughs) they don't belong here uh and we did that right i mean it was poor decision making all the way around in so many different ways um habitats are being destroyed because of just like you said the wrong fish are getting into those habitats and it's our fault it's not like those fish just moved <laughs> right and they yeah. become invasive species that's exactly it yeah right man so there you go I, and i'm not telling anybody not to eat fish or seafood i am just encouraging people to look for labels and certifications that say that these are sustainably farmed harvested fish and shellfish if they do eat them yeah. because we do need to preserve habitats we need to preserve fish so we have it longer than roughly 2050 and that we are looking at the human rights issues the pollution and the disease and the habitats and all of those different pieces there's you know dozens of them dozen reasons why we can look at this as an important issue yeah absolutely well, I just need one other favor from you, Kim. Um, I'm going to have my wife listen to this podcast. And if you could just let her know for our efforts 
we need to move closer to an ocean so I can do all my own fishing. Yeah. If you just tell her that, she'll take your word for sure. it. Sure. Eric needs to move closer to the ocean. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Thank so you can you. do your own fishing. <laughs> that's I, right. So I, I used I to fish and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, we would fish in the rivers here for trout. Yeah. Oh, I love trout. Yep. That's a beautiful thing. I wish we had trout yeah. here. <laughs> anyway. All right, Kim, thank you so much. This is great information. Uh, and I know that this is near and dear to your heart. This isn't what every podcast is about. If you're joining, then this is your first podcast. This is the education happens every podcast, but there's so much more to what Kim does. Um, Kim, can you just give your contact uh, information out for anybody who's new, a new listener that maybe want to talk to you about how they can um, change their portfolio, how they can change their their investing and their shopping and their buying um, right. to reflect their heart's desire and their, their uh, values. You're right, Eric, because we do educate on every podcast and we off, well, we mostly talk about investing and the sustainability of portfolios or how to make a client's portfolio sustainable to them, mm -hmm. what's more sustainable to each client and tailoring it to that um, particular person. Because it's not about what's sustainable to me. Yeah. It's about what's sustainable to them. If they want to contact me, they can email Horizons at, they can email the whole team if they email us at info at horizonssfs.com, or they can call us at the office at 505-982-9661. Perfect. All right. Kim, again, thank you so much for all that you bring to the audience, all the education and the fun. It was a great podcast today. But our last thank you is always reserved for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at at horizonssfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at horizonssustfin or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers. 
with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.